Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, welcome to the Friday version of the Information Edge. Uh, I am your host, Darren Yancey, and it is a fantastic Friday here in Texas. Now, a week ago, we were uh, freezing our fannies off with stuff out of the north that we don't like, ice and snow and crap and all that kind of stuff. But we dealt with it. We got through with it. Today, it is 80 degrees outside. Oh, my goodness. And that's one of the reasons we like it in Texas. If you don't like the weather, stick around. But it's going to be wonderful in terms of weather. So what we what got on hand today, uh, we're going to be talking to Warren Norad, who is running for the Texas Senate, specifically Senate District 10. Before we get into that, let me take care of a little bit of housekeeping. Um, first off, go to the site informationedge.net. That is my site that I put together. It's a resource site for you. You can go there. You've got uh, the blog. It's got about all of our topics, which break down and show you some of the periodicals that I go to to pull research. Our government resource site, which is the best on the planet, uh, all of the government from the federal side, the Texas House. If you want to know if, for example, you live in Louisiana and you want to know who's on your energy commission, you can go to that site and you can find it. So it's a wonderful site and resource. Uh, the newsletter, which, by the way, uh, right now, I think we're about 5,000 people on the newsletter and growing substantially. So go there, join the newsletter. I put that out one quarter. Uh, just came out with what I did on the show a few weeks ago on medical. Um, glad to have the support there. In terms of following me on social media, at InfoEdge65 on Twitter, while I'm on Twitter, don't know how much longer I'll be there because uh, don't like the heavy-handedness. Follow me on Gab and Getter, at DGNC65, um, because I'm, I'm a little less restrictive on uh, what I'm going to post on those two. Okay, joining us um, from his from his firm in Arlington, Texas, is Warren Nord. Warren is running for Texas Senate District 10. And Warren, I can see that you've got your, your sound muted, so you're going to want to unmute yourself. Okay, there we go. Warren, how are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me. All right, fantastic. Now, I personally know Warren because a few years ago, he helped me bag a scoundrel um, that had, uh, well, let's just say philandered uh, the Yancey family companies out of some money. We didn't get any money back, but uh, the efforts helped put the son of a gun in jail. And uh, while that's not quite as satisfying as having the money back, it's satisfying that he's rotting in jail. So that was a good thing. When I saw Warren's name pop up running for T Texas Senate District 10, I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Texas Senate District 10, uh, it's it's kind of a, it's a diverse district. Uh, it comes a little bit near my home, doesn't really come into my home, but it's in the Tarrant County portion, runs all over the place, and it is flip-flopped. It's, it's voted Republicans in, it's voted Democrats in. Uh, currently, the person that's in it is a Democrat, Beverly Volkman-Powell, who I actually know her brother, she, who developed where we live. So here's what I want to do, Warren. We're going to go through a list of questions of people that, you know, we got early voting starting next week, uh, and there's people out here that may can vote, 
and want to vote for you. And then we got people that are going to listen. Maybe can't vote, but they could get for, support you financially. So I'm going to go through a list of, of things that are important to these folks in terms of questions. But what I'd like to do first is turn this over to you. Tell people a little bit about yourself and what made you decide to put on the candidate cape uh, and go into political gladiatorial combat. Well, first of all, Darren, thank you for having me. I, I very much appreciate the invitation. One um, thing that I've learned, I was in the legislature for four years. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know what's going on there. Um, there you go. So um, I decided to run for Senate whenever uh, Beverly Powell decided to leave the, uh, with the Democrats and go to D.C. And I said, well, I'm not sure what the lines are going to look like. Uh, but I know I'm going to, unless something really strange happens, I'm going to be in the district, so I'm going to go do this. Um, and so as the lines have changed, and of course, it went from one county to eight. And so that's been a, a challenging issue. Um, uh, my background, as you know, of course, I, previous life, I was an engineer. I was a useful member of society for many years. Um, and then and you became I, a lawyer. You know, I became a lawyer, right? You know, so, um, you know, what can you do? Um but my, uh, my oldest son turned uh, four and I said, I needed, I need education for my child. And so um, I started charter school and we ran into a lot of, of uh, attorneys along the way. And I said, you know, this doesn't seem like it's all that difficult. And so uh, if these people could make it. And so, um, so we went to, I went to law school at night, I uh, got my law degree. And at the beginning, I started a lot of intellectual property stuff that, you know, that you'd expect with, um, with a patent and you know, the patent world with intellectual engineering degree. Um, and then uh, slowly these things start happening. You know, back when I was an engineer, people would ask me to help them with their IT work. And so um, when you become a, a lawyer, people start asking you to help you with those kinds of issues. And so we got involved in red light camera ban, uh, which kind of started in Arlington statewide, statewide effort. Uh, then we got involved in some term limit fights and we got involved in, in uh, election squares and I invalidated a Fort Worth law on uh, signed ordinance that was being used to abuse pro-life uh, counselors, things like that. And then, of course, COVID showed up uh, and, and, then, and Shelley Boother, of course, a kind of a famous case with a uh, salon owner in Dallas that opened up. She's actually running for state house now. And so it's been... Uh, the non-essential, essential garbage, uh, fighting that, and then it's been the mask fights and the fourth ISD mask fight. We demasked uh, the kids there, and we've got a lot of mask fights all over the state. And now we're working on uh, medical vaccine fights and, uh, and 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 medicine of choice fights, right to try. And and I just see this like, why am I keep doing these band-aid lawsuits when I should be? being able to use the laws and the problem is our our legislature has abandoned its duties uh we now live in a a electoral and uh, an elected monarchy system so uh the governor just says whatever he wants and it becomes law and that's the wrong way to do business so that's what i'm here to fix well let's let's you know there's a lot of questions but let's, let's kind of dive into one that you just talked about and that's the mask and or vax mandates um, I mean, Joe Biden tried to make it this national and pretty much he got his hand handed to him, um, right. with the exception of the health side, which I, I don't know why health workers should be any less free than other people. But with that coming down, are you telling me even past that decision, we're still having a lot of people trying to be heavy handed on the map? Glad you asked that. Okay. okay. So. What happened at the at the federal level with uh, Supreme Court is the Supreme Court just said, "Hey, that vax mandate that the president gave you is or is not a law." 
and decided it was largely not a law. Uh, but that doesn't mean that woke companies like Lockheed mm-hmm. uh, can't simply decide on their own to require mask or, band- or uh, vaccine mandates. It, generally speaking, uh, if a company says, uh, we, we're going to celebrate Taco Tuesday, everybody wear yellow for their favorite shell color uh, on Tuesdays, they can do that. And everybody just has to abide by that because it's a law, it's a rule of employment. You can just decide to do those kinds of things. Yeah, but hold on a second, Warren. I'm, 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 I'm slightly, I'm not the average bear. I'm a little smarter than the average bear. And I know there's this little law that's been out there since the late 90s called HIPAA which precludes disclosing the privacy. I also know if, if you were now I can see where new hires coming in, they could do that. But if I'm an existing person and you didn't ask for my vaccination status before, and you didn't make me make wear masks before, and now I'm a fully uh, ingrained employee, what gives them the legal right to now come and do a 180 and go against HIPAA? Well, uh, we have to separate things out. HIPAA is about not disclosing somebody's health information to a third party. So now you, there is an Amer- Americans Disabilities Act has a part of that law says that uh, an employer cannot request medical information post employment. So once you've worked, unless it has something to do with okay. the job. Okay. Right. So, so once you've got a job, in theory, just federal law says that you cannot ask your employees for new information that's medical unless it has something to do with the job. Now, of course, the liberals will say, well, of course, it has something to do with the job. Okay, does your CEO and your janitor and your secretaries and your car work, your truck drivers all have to, to reveal this? Yes, then it has nothing to do with the job, right? So that's that's one of the issues that you can bring up. Nobody's used that in a lawsuit. We're getting ready. To, well, actually, we're getting ready to. But, um, but I knew somewhere a, there had to be something around. Now you just can't, if I'm employed and I've been doing fine and you didn't make my vaccination status, you know, mandatory at that time, you have no yeah, right. And so a lot of these fights in the last year have been, uh, and at the beginning, and I'll just pick on Lockheed because they're the ones that get ready to receive the suit. Uh, at the beginning, Lockheed told me that they wanted to be very reasonable and rational and they, and they didn't want to lose anybody to this thing. So they were being very free and open with their religious exemptions. Mm-hmm. And so um, at the beginning of this thing, it was, they were being pretty reasonable. And it's, it's a strange deal. Bell, who I'm also representing a couple hundred employees, uh, Bell was being kind of snooty about it. They wouldn't even talk to him. And, when they went, and then when the mandate was, was uh, set aside by the Supreme Court, Bell got very reasonable and Lockheed turned into um, an, a difficult actor to work with. Really? And so okay. What they're doing is now what they'll do is something a little bit better. They say, Everybody has to wear a mask. So that takes away from the discrimination part of it. Now, it's still stupid, bad science, mm-hmm. but, but it, it's more difficult to sue somebody. You know, you can't sue them for discrimination if they're treating everybody Right, the same. exactly. That's true. So, so they're doing that part right. Uh, the part they're doing wrong is they're saying you got to be vaccinated uh, or you're gonna, we're going to kill off your job. Um, and even when you are... Even when you say uh, we're going to, what they'll do is they're co- it's called what I call COVID waterboarding. If you don't have the vax, then we're going to test you twice a week or once a week, and and we're going to harass you until you give in. And so, I think that that's uh, unreasonable and illegal as well. But none of this has been tested in the court waters, either in Texas or in other states. 
No, no. Nobody has fought this, to my knowledge, uh, and we've watched this pretty closely. Nobody has fought this on the basis of the American Disabilities Act, um, which, which, and they'll say, well, you're not disabled. Case law has established that you can use the, disabled, the, the ADA Absolutely. for non-disabled people. It's yeah, law, law is law. Right. So there's a lot to that. There's something else I want people to recognize that they may not, they may not get. Uh, if somebody has a religious objection, there are some people that have religious exemptions, have religious objections that are not obviously religious. Right. Uh, it doesn't really require a religion. It requires a firm, fixed belief uh, that prevents you from participating in a task. And, and one of the good things that the Catholics gave us uh, some time ago is the doctrine of therapeutic proportionality. And so the idea is that if, when Uncle, when, when Grandpa Jones is near the end of his life, mm -hmm. we're not going to sell the farm for a million dollar operation that's only going to last, uh, keep Grandpa Jones alive a little while longer, right. even if we're pro-life, right? So the idea here is that we're going to allow people uh, to use their own reason and rational uh, judgment in adopting new medical procedures. And in this case, if you want the medical procedure, go get it, man. This is not an anti-vaccine thing. It's not even an anti-MNRA thing. Right. Do what you want with your own body. Uh, but when we see that there's no no real difference in the viral loads between the vaxxed and the unvaxxed, then, right. then all we're doing is um, we're interfering with other people's medical decisions. And so um, I would say, no, you don't get a chance to do that. Well, that's good. All right. So here's, here's another question that we're going to get into, and, and it's kind of, it follows with some of the things that you were talking about. I can already pretty much guess your opinion on it. What I would like to know is, and I'm going to tie this into this, what we just talked about is your opinion on what's happening with critical race theory, the legalities behind it. And in this case, and in the VAX case, were you to be successful when the primary uh, become successful in the general election, what would you help do? What would you champion legislatively? We understand one person is great, but you, it takes a team. You got to get that team together. But if Warren says, Hey, these are the legislative ideas I want to do on these topics, what would they be? Well, on, on CRT, we, we have a newer law that, um, um, that the house passed and it's supposed to be, help us to fight CRT, but it's, but it's unenforceable and it really doesn't work. Uh, and so you'll see a lot of legislators will say, oh, we solved that problem, we passed the law. And you look at the law and it's garbage. And so that's what we have right now. Uh, the problem has, and of course, I developed a parental bill of rights. Um, since I developed mine, the governor's got one, the TPPF has one. There's lots of people, you know, their parental rights are all the rage. And so I've got a parental bill of rights on our website, electionary.com. Uh, and we talk about some of these things. And so with CRT, for example, uh, what you see with CRT is you see group uh, punishment and group thinking and uh, the assumption that some people and from some demographic groups are by nature oppressors, usually people that look like me, uh, and that people, everybody else is the oppressed and that people right. like me always oppress everybody else. Um, and they'll say, well, it's not being taught in the schools. It's very easily, you can show it's been taught. I mean, when right. people say that, I just say, look, how many examples would you like before you change your opinion? Give me any reasonable number. I'll give you that number and we'll show it to you. What's happening is that, uh, is it, that continuing education hours that teachers have to get, um, will be, they'll be taught how to input, uh, CRT, uh, social emotional learning into the classroom. 
The real problem with this is that big government Republicans, like my opponent, have introduced character training in the classroom because they said, well, we're going to make sure you got to teach character training. And they pass a law. So they go, oh, solve that problem. And what's happened is that big government Republicans don't realize that this law now has empowered Marxist zealots that run our many of our public schools to, to teach CRT and say, well, you can't opt out because state law says I have to do this. So the tools that are supposed to start to help with character training are being misused to teach Marxist ideology. And so the, you asked a basic question. What we want to do is we want to make these rules, many of these rules that are already in law, enforceable uh, by, by statute um, and, and to clarify these things so they actually work. Um, and, and so that means being, being able to jump past the grievance process that is used by so many public schools just to slow down and wear out and, and uh, dishearten parents until they go away. Well, it brings up another topic that's directly related to this, um, and that gets to ad valorem taxes because the ad valorem taxes funds the schools, which allow to go through. And even we've got some really taxpayer lobbying come backing from that. There is a push right now. There was a bill in this last session. I know there's going to be a bill in the next session. And I can tell you this, there's going to be people voted out if they don't start taking this for serious and get it changed is property tax financing reform, either the elimination of the ad valorem or radical redistribution and knocking the living snot out of what it's charging, because we are basically pricing ourselves out of our homes uh, in the state of Texas. So let's talk about two things with ad valorem. Number one, would you support uh, either a radical change of the formula and reduction of what's being charged in ad valorem or a, a, a basically abolishment and replacement with the ad valorem and then taking that step, okay, how would you then apply that to potentially reining in some of these school districts on a statutory basis where they can't do that? Well, as, as you, uh, for those who want to see a long protracted discussion of, pro, of what I think about property taxes, I have actually posted something, a, a longer piece uh, yesterday on my Facebook page. Um, and, and, and this is in my, my favorite thing to point out about ad valorem taxes, of course, property taxes generally, is that the Old Testament talked about this. And there's an old king, I can never say his name right, Jokayim or something like that. Uh, and, and it said it doesn't really describe a lot of what he did that was evil in the sight of the Lord, but it says that it, it they that he taxed people to the assessment of their land in order to pay Caesar. Uh, and, right. and it's described as uh, evil in the sight of the Lord. So I, there, there, there are always taxes, but there are levels of wrong. And so, um, and property taxes are the worst. Uh, but how do you get away from it, right? So there are some things that I would say uh, that we want to do. We wanted to get away from property taxes. And then there are ways of making it more equitable as we leave. Um, I always want to point out that if you take a quart of blood from my left leg and you say, no, 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 that's, that's very painful. Let's not do that. We're going to take a quart of blood from your right arm. You know, it's a lot of blood. If you quart of blood is a quart of blood. Yeah. Take less blood. And then it matters less how you take it. And so I, I'm all about making it more equitable. We need to uh, empower the chief appraisal district appraiser uh, in these passing agencies 
uh, and, and make them have, give, it, give taxpayers the opportunity to question exemptions and say, is this exemption really in the public favor or is this just a gift to somebody? Um, I mean, the, the Texas Rangers, for example, um, they, is, there, is their facility really for the public good? It seems like it's owned by one or two really rich dudes uh, and they avoid paying $25 million a year in property taxes. I have to pay all my property taxes. I get a little bit of a benefit on the homestead, but you know, it's, it's this much. They get 25 million that they don't pay. Um, so I, I don't know that that's, that's not a good idea. So, so we should make it, first of all, make it more flat so everybody feels the pain, uh, certainly as to the, to the extent that homeowners do. Uh, and then we also ought to be moving away from that. So Huffines has a plan, West has a plan, uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation has a plan. Everybody's got a plan. Uh, it's and out I'm there, okay. and it, it's achievable. Right. Well, it's th there are there are concerns, right? It, we're gonna we're gonna give more power to Austin when we do this in certain ways because we're gonna centralize uh, some of this data, some of this collections. And it seems as though all of these plans have seem to have a problem of uh, rewarding debt. So if you are a school district that has very little debt, uh, then it looks as though you're not going to benefit from any of these plans as much as the school district has lots of debt. So I think that we need to clean that up in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but, but I'm all about it. I mean, any, anything, as long, and as long as we're talking about it in this regard, mm -hmm. uh, then we're not talking about making the budget more. I think it's been established um, and that we're not going to raise the budget. Uh, and people call this a win. And I, I'm going to call it a win because it's more of a win than a loss. Uh, but the general idea is we never increase the Texas budget more than inflation plus population growth. Now well, let's talk, let's talk about budget for a second. Are you for, are you for, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Can't even think about it. No, zero based budgeting. In other words, the budget was this, we, we didn't yeah. use it. But now I want to take it back to zero and you justify your budget. Right. Uh, and we, but we can't even, this is the problem. We can't even get our Republican legislature to take the sunset uh, series, uh, sunset provisions of the law seriously. Last session we had, uh, session four last, I guess, we had the, the plumbing uh, board was not re-upped. Um, the entire board, that means all plumbing in the state of Texas was unregulated or should have been. And the governor said, well, there was a hurricane down here in Galveston. Therefore, I'm going to use my executive powers and reinstitute plumbing regulations all over the state. It's insane. That's insane. Uh, but that's what we did. And then I think we, they, they went through and they re-regulated and, and put the plumbing board and put all together again immediately. So we have a hard, we can't even get sunset laws handled properly. So uh, to say that we're going to get zero-based budgeting uh, is something I can say as, as a aspirational goal. Uh, my goal is to simply say, let's not build the budget more. Let's keep it the way it is. I don't want, I don't want balance. I don't want budget plus inflation plus, uh, plus population. That's, I don't want that. I want us to look at things. For example, my, uh, my opponent, uh, uh, helped pass a $10 million a year, um, uh, subsidy for the Texas, um, music incubator. So all of Texans are going to pay higher taxes so that well-connected music groups in Austin 
can uh, get free money to do what they were going to do anyway. Now, this is the same guy who's saying he's working on the budget. I, I don't see how you can do that. I don't see how you can say with and, and not have lightning strike you when you say, I'm, I'm good on taxes. I want to lower the budget. I'm only spending money on things that uh, we should be spending money on. And then say, I'm going to give $10 million a year to the Texas Music Incubator. I think that's insane. Uh, so we have to focus on the budget itself and say, I want every penny accounted for, because I don't think that they can account for lots and lots of these pennies. Okay. We're coming up to the top, the bottom of the hour, and we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, and this kind of goes back to what we're talking about in school boards, and, I, and I've had people go back and forth on this, but... Um, if we're going to talk about ad valorems and let, because that may take a session or two, but what could be done in the next session very easily is allowing credits to be given or vouchers. That's the word for, for folks that don't want to pay school taxes to what they feel is a failing school district so that they have the right to use that money to take and put their child in the educational tool of their choice. Do you support it or not support it? And then I don't think we're going to have enough time to answer in this particular segment, but when we, we'll probably take a break and come back and we get into, if you do support it, what plan would you bring to the Texas Senate to try to get it implemented? I support the general idea that money follows the child. I'll say uh, before the full answer, and I guess that's the break, that um, the major problem that we have in, in every school district is that um, the powers that be don't recognize that the actual uh, decision makers for whether or not an education is, is right for the student should be the parents. All the most bureaucrats will say, I'm going to judge this school by its scores instead of judging the school by what the parents who are sending their kids there say. If it's a uh, if it's the best that the, that the parent can do, the parent may be very happy with what the, the school is doing because the parent has looked at other options and found that that was a good option. So I, I'm all about that. And I can tell you how we're going to do that um, when we come back, I guess. Yeah, we're, we're at the bottom of the hour, folks. So we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey on Voice America. We're interviewing Warren Nord, who is a candidate for the Republican Party for Senate District 10 here in Texas. We're going to take a quick break, pay a few bills, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more, not just in it profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5789. That's 1-866-472-5789. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now back to The Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back to The Information Edge podcast. I'm your host, Darren Yancey. Uh, remember, go to the website, informationedge.net. That is a resource site for you. Uh, you can follow along. Today, we are talking with candidate for the Texas Senate for the Republican Party, Mr. Warren Norred, Senate District 10. And we've been covering a lot of topics right here. We were getting into one that's really juicy. Uh, it's very juicy in Texas, but actually it's juicy all over the United States. And that is uh, where to take your money when you're spending taxes. Ad valorem taxes are a national problem. They may be a local issue in terms of, but it's a national problem and how to get it. Because right now, all these problems we have with CRT, all these problems that we had uh, with these mayors, the reason they could do what they could do is because they had your property tax money. And if they don't have your property tax money, you take away a whole lot of control. So those things are related, but there's things that we can do in relief, and that's a voucher system. So we talked about you do support it. I understand. And again, I, I never put say, well, what do you expect to do? We understand it's a team effort when you go into a legislative body, but what would team Nord bring to the floor to say, Hey, we need to make school choice happen. Now here's what I think we can do to come together for it. Well, I, uh, first of all, everybody should know that, that I was a founding president of the Arlington classics Academy, which was going to open 22 years ago as the nation's largest startup charter school. So I'm a big fan of charters. If you have a sufficient number of charter options, it almost becomes a voucher program all by itself. And, then, and that's where the teacher, the, the kids start following, money starts following the child. I'll bring up this interesting, uh, and this is more than 20 years ago, Lake Travis ISD was moving very fast, growing very fast, and had a lot of money, but it 
simply could not bring the, the space fast enough, fast enough. And so what it came up with was a plan that said, if, you, uh, if you're in a crowded, one of the crowded schools, you could take your child out, um, you could um, educate your child on your own, and then you have to take the lowbrow, easy test to, to, for most people. At the for most kids at the end of the school year, and then the school the, the child's parents would get some of that money back, um, and so it was a it was a uh, separation of the means from the end. You know what's the end? The Texas Constitution says it doesn't say we're going to give you free babysitting for the year, right? It says right. We, we're guaranteeing an efficient public education system. Uh, to me, most public means it's going to be least connected to the government. Right. So the only thing that gets more expensive is stuff that is connected to the government. So I love that process. Uh, the teacher union got a hold of that before it got actually implemented and replaced school board members. It never happened. But I thought that was a solid plan. Um, so I, I'm, I'm all about slowly moving the system away from the same way that we've always done it for 100 years. We don't deliver music the same way we did 100 years ago. We don't go from place to place the same way we did a hundred years ago. We don't do anything. We don't, you know, we have plumbing, indoor plumbing now, but we pretend that education should be kept in the same format and the same delivery system that it did in the 1800s. And it's of course absurd. So I'm all about moving it slowly. And one of the things, one of the few good things about COVID was that we learned that you can do distance learning for some kids and it works like a champ. Other people can't. Right. And so, there's lots of ways of getting there. I'm going to, uh, a lot of school districts don't realize that they can have their own charter schools and allow people out. And what most people want to do is they want to say, charter schools are for the, uh, the kids that are struggling. No, you can have a charter school for the gazelles, just as you do for the, those who are struggling. And, and, and that's what ACA is. It's a, it's a school for the gazelles, uh, minority and majority uh, uh, school, by the way. Um, and so I, I would say we want to move that way. We want to move that way slowly. There are a lot of people that have valid concerns that they're going to get uh, strings on their private schools. I want to do it in a way where we pay for performance. You take your kid in a, out of a failing school or out of an overcrowded school. You educate them wherever you wish. I don't care where. I, I have no care. I do not care where. You can be in the, the Jewish school, the Christian school, the atheist school. Um, any, anywhere you want, but your money. At, at the, it's, it, well, it's it's under your money, and then at the end, you come back and you take whatever idiotic test the state wants to give you. And if you pass, then you get half the money, or you get a thousand dollars. What it, so that the school district cannot complain that it's losing cash because it's losing some work it has to do, it's getting probably ten thousand dollars. If I take that child away, you don't have to do that. And I'm only going to pay them, say, $2,000. That school district's making eight grand for doing nothing. It can't complain about that. They still will. They still will complain because they're about this religiously. They think in these terms of religion. They don't think in terms of really providing education to the most number of kids and doing so in the best way. They don't think about quality, and they have no respect for parents and what parents want. But there you go. That's my that's, spiel. That's bountifully obvious on some of those things let's talk about something that's um i don't want to say it's a rampant problem but i think it's a problem and that's term limits obviously federal is one thing but I'm, we're talking the state of texas right now you're looking to go to the texas senate and um that's term limits on our elected officials 
We don't have them in Texas. I don't want to say we've had we've had abuse. I don't want to say we've had grotesque abuse, but I will state right now, I'm going to throw this out there and I'm, I'm probably shouldn't, but I, I'm not certain that we need governors going three terms, regardless of whether their political party. Um, we don't do it in the president's level. And I think there's some reasons why, but where do you stand on term limits for the state of Texas? I, I am, I've, I've never been really a term limits guy, but I, I tell you my, my, my real, uh, cutting my teeth on a real term on this issue was there, there was a guy named Zach down here in Arlington. He put together the petition and said, we're going to have uh, three two-year terms for city council and three two-year uh, and then three more two-year terms for mayor. Pretty clearly the harshest term limit for cities in the nation. Um, and I really didn't participate in this process. I didn't, I wasn't involved in it. I generally have not been in, in the term limit world until that time. The city council said, well, that's pretty harsh. So we're going to, and they, they illegally developed an alternative plan. And then they were going to put it, this charter amendment on the city, uh, on the city uh, ballot, uh, theirs first, and then Zach's. And then a third thing that they just kind of made up so that people would vote yes on all of them or, or yes in the first one and then bypass the second two. So, it, and what the city fathers wanted was three threes and unlimited mayor. Um, and so they did it illegally. I, I said, no, no, no. I, I don't care what you think about tournaments. Uh, this was done right by Zach. You can like him or not like him, but you can't, you can't wait until the last minute and try to go around him. So we filed, I filed a suit in district court and they found that I was right. And, and so right now in Arlington, because I filed that suit and supported that effort, we have the harshest term limits. I mean, I, it's, I, even I think it's pretty harsh. Although I, my favorite term limit is we only allow people who are terminally ill to actually run for office so that they're, you know, you have to be, the, the prognosis has to be that you're going to die in the next five years. That's what I want. You know, then yeah. we have people who are really thinking in terms of service. Yeah. I just, well, the challenge uh, that you get in, I, I mean, I served on a Johnson County emergency services board for five years and the problem that you get into with a lot of the local uh, politicians in terms of county and, and city municipalities is they get in there and then they're, they're like an Alabama tick. They're hard to get out. Uh, oh, they they want to stay in there forever and ever and ever. And I mean, the, there's, there's a lot of abuse on school boards and uh, city councils and emergency service districts and commissioner's court. You want, you want to get into a blood fight, uh, right. go step into one of those and start talking about their money and you will get into a blood fight. I don't care what the designation is behind the position. Yeah, so, Yep. You know, I don't necessarily, I, I don't have a problem with draconian because I think it's good keeping them in. That's probably a little shorter than what I would have done, but you know, I think it's out there. Let's, let's shift gears for a second, because if you get into the Senate, um, one of the, the jobs is oversight. Okay. Uh, last year, or excuse me, in 2020, 21, uh, Brian Birdwell came out with Senate joint resolution 45 as a check uh, on gubernatorial powers in a response to Governor Abbott basically telling the Texas legislature, hold my beer. Um, it, but you can it, get it to go. Yeah. So. And um, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I was a board appointee to the Brazos River Authority. I stepped down from that. Part of it was, was I was a little too uh, harsh in my uh, – I, I didn't back off my tweets in my review, but I was on that board for two years, and my, and my governor changed. He's not the governor that I came in under, and I don't think he's done the job that he could have been. So and I'm not asking your opinion on that. I just want to know if, if in terms of 
have you reviewed SJR 45 first off? Have you had a chance to review that? I have read a number of um, judicial um, curbs on executive power. I don't remember the details of that one. Uh, okay. I can tell you the one that's relevant to this, this, this race was on January and January, the beginning of the first session, the house conservatives. And remember, whenever we talk about the house conservatives, uh, it never includes my opponent. Never. They're not referring to him. When we talk about the house conservatives, it's never, he's never in that group. The house conservatives said, because the way the disaster act, uh, proclamations work is right. the Texas house votes to end the disaster. Correct. Do that at any time. And so the house Republicans, the conservatives put together a plan. They said if 25 or more, uh, house representatives, um, sign a petition to condition or end the disaster act proclamation, then, um, then, then the house votes on it. And my opponent voted against that. Um, and as an aside, I'll say that's the same time period when he voted to continue to mask children in the gallery of the house six months after the governor had ended it statewide. So not a big fan of, of that. Um, but to answer your question, um, of course, a lot of the things that I've done, including you know, the Shelley Luther suit, the, the masking suits, all of these suits, are a lot of them I'm supporting right now as we speak, we have a court of appeals suit on the uh, TABC's irrational rules for standalone bars. You know, a standalone bar on a, you know, a, a modified gas station, uh, standalone bar, it's too dangerous to allow them to open no matter what. But if you put that same area inside at Chili's, safe, poof, it's safe. Right. Uh, even the state of Louisiana said that if you're going to have a bar open, it has to convert to a restaurant seating environment. We didn't have that. We allowed Chili's to do whatever they want. But if you put a food truck in your parking lot, then poof, it's safe again. Isn't that cool? So we challenged those, uh, and I've challenged a lot of those things. In fact, I think that's why uh, my opponent was actually recruited, because they know that I'm not going to be their guest man in the Senate. So by that statement, then you're not opposed to putting forth proper legislation to do more oversight on the, uh, on the governor. Cause I think we've seen in this particular, and again, COVID was new. Okay. I can't say that a Democrat governor would have done worse or better. Um, I know what I saw my governor do, which was not as good as he should have done. And I think it's well-founded and well-known that the only reason that Greg Abbott changed the mask law when he, or mask mandate when he did, it was because he came in dead last to CPAC um, on that straw poll. And he's like, oh, good Lord, I'm, I'm hurting myself. Well, yes, he has. So this is something we've got overreach here. So you're not opposed to addressing that in the Texas Senate if you get elected. I would like for us to move away from the elected monarchy system that we're using now and go back to the constitutionally mandated uh, separation of powers. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Let's talk about appointed positions. Okay. Um, I've, I've been in two different boards where I was appointed. And a lot of times appointed positions are because there is not anybody that's going to uh, spend their money to get elected to these positions. They're not the most desirable things in the world. And it's the, what we'll call the sausage making of political policy in most states. The Texas Senate has the responsibility of going over and effectively validating the governor's appointees. The governor comes out with a, a list of people they'll go through in the process. What is your opinion on 
what is there a profile that you you feel yes we should approve someone do you, have you developed the thought process for that is that something that is even on the horizons on how you would respond if you were to a committee that oversaw gubernatorial appointments Darren, I'll tell you that I tend to look at all of these things the same way I look at elections. Um, you know, it, once you've been involved, as you have you know, at, in elections for a long time, you realize that most people are fallen bags of flesh. And there, there's no, you know, Jesus was the last one that walked on water, right? And so whenever we have jobs that need to be done, it's always a matter of who wants to do them. And uh, you're going to compare the people that are there. I tend to be much more small government than the average pair, and my history bears that out. So whenever I'm looking at comparing people for a job, uh, I, and if the governor said, I like this guy for this job, I'm going to say, well, what conflicts of interest is going to, are going to exist there? One of the things we just to stay in the theme just for a minute, uh, the many franchise owners have been whispering in the ear of Greg Abbott and not surprisingly. Uh, Chili's and other organizations like that were relatively untouched. As soon as the restaurants could open, they did. They didn't have to change much. They continued to do work uh, because nobody's paying attention to uh, the bigger, the, the larger world. They're just worried about themselves. So I want, I want a diversity of opinion because we, we, we often talk about diversity of skin color. We never talk about diversity of opinion and diversity of background uh, as far as, is there, are there people that would bring a different flavor and of understanding uh, so that we have people who are less out of touch than we would otherwise? Sorry about that. I didn't turn the volume down. All right. Let's talk about for just a second. Um, you get in. What committees would you like to be on in the Texas Senate? I think it'd be hard to say that there's anybody um, in the Senate currently that knows more about the guts of how education works in the real world than I do. Uh, as a board member who wrote a charter school uh, charter uh, and have been involved in that for a number of years, um, I, I bring a flavor to that that I think that most people don't. Um, the, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's the, the committee that's gonna overlook the, the electric grid, as you, you know, as we know, I'm a, I have a master's degree in electrical engineering. Um, my first years out as a useful person in society was working at various uh, nuclear power plants, including Comanche Peak. Um, I know um, I am well adept at understanding uh, how those kinds of issues work. I would love to be looking at the electric grid and, and ensuring here, here we have another opportunity. Uh, my opponent thinks that if you put wind and solar power out in the middle of nowhere where they have to be, that the taxpayers should pick up the, the line transmission lines, which is, does that show up as a subsidy um, on the wind and power uh, subsidy list? No, it doesn't, but it, it hurts the, the, it hurts the, uh, the state. And so these kinds of things are hard to follow if you, unless you're familiar with how they work. And uh, I think that it, 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 it takes a technical mind that has some, some idea of what's going on. I still have my professional engineering license. Uh, to my knowledge, I'd be the only registered professional engineer in the Texas Senate. Well, one thing on the grid, I mean, a lot of people don't understand everybody. And I, and I, I listen to what Beto O'Rourke is going out and saying right now. A lot of people forget Joe Strauss, back when he was Speaker of the House, put certain Democrats on energy committees that started the decommissioning of natural gas and coal fire plants. We've taken some 
Good Lord, 100,000 megawatts of coal and gas-fired power off the Texas grid in the last 10 years. And it has not been adequately replaced. I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not against solar. I'm not against wind. But they are not the same as a gas or coal-fired plant. Right. Now they're talking about, okay, well, we're going to go back to those plants. And we're going to try to recommission them as nuclear power plants. Okay. I'm not against nukes. Right. Here's a problem. And I'm going to hit your, I'm going to hit your engineering on this right now. We know for a fact that we don't control the fissionable material from our uranium or plutonium basis in the United States. Our friends across the pond in Russia do the only one that we carry enough of to supply is thorium. And the last time I checked thorium reactors, they're, they're not operational yet. Or am I incorrect on that? Well, I, I, I would say that the, the obvious right answer is to use the energy that you have in your backyard. And so we should be energy independent, just as our country used to be. We should, go, we, sh we should be handling all of that to the extent that we can. Natural gas is the obvious solution that we did. And it's easy to, tr it's easy to transport. It's easy to use. Uh, the, this idea that we're going to uh, literally damage ourselves to, back into the dark ages uh, by depending upon uh, energy that you have to ship the producers money with it in order for it to even break even it's, it's insane for us to do that. And of course, my opponent was part of energy deregulation uh, over the last 20 years. So he was one of the kingpins of that. He got a lot of money from various people for doing that kind of work. Uh, and he is part of the decision of, of taking his eye off the ball. And that's the real problem. Our legislature generally likes to think that it can give people favors. It can give subsidies out and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if they do that, but it does because you take your eye off the ball and you make yourself vulnerable to big winter storms uh, or supply chain issues. There's so many of these things that are fixable, but they're not, it's not fun, you know, and it's not fun to turn people down when they want money. Uh, and who doesn't like alternative energy? So uh, again, I'm not against it. I'm against shutting down over hundred thousand megawatts of reliable energy i promise you if those plants that were were that we've decommissioned for the sole reason of the power source they used if they were online i don't care if it was last year or this year we're not talking about any issues on the grid because we got plenty of power right we got plenty of power so what you're gonna if you get into the senate you know i don't know if that's going to be energy commissioner natural resource or both right you got to tussle there because there's a mindset right now that's been growing, even though we have a Republican majority and you think we could do whatever the hell we want. That's not what's happening. Well, you'll, you'll see that um, one of the struggles we have is the Senate is run by a tight fist and there's not a lot of open discussion on um, things that we should be doing different. And so there are some people in the Senate that think that there should be no open discussion on the floor. And so if you look at the journal of the Senate, you will often see Senator Bob Hall make a motion and it dies for lack of a second because the powers that be will say, we don't want to have any unpleasant conversation on the floor of the Senate. That's a real, real problem because people don't vote for lieutenant governor and say and we're going to give all 31 votes of the senate to dan patrick as well and therefore he's going to get to decide what's going on i like dan patrick i think he's right about 80 percent of the time maybe more 
but he's wrong to say, I've got to control every little thing. And that's why he's so involved in this race. So if, if we want to have a diversity of ideas, uh, which is what we have to have, uh, then we have to have it openly. And that's been a big problem. That, and that's one of the reasons I'm running. I'll tell you what, we got a couple of minutes left here. So I'm going to kind of give you your wrap up session. I'd like you to tell us about uh, any, any websites, uh, social media that you'd have. And then finish out, you're talking to folks here. Hey, not everybody that's listening could vote for you, but maybe they, the ones that can vote for you will be great. But maybe there's folks that say, hey, I like Warren. I'd like to help help him get here. Tell us, finish out for us here, Warren. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and, of course, we have this amazing rule in Texas. You can give as much money as you want. And so you can go to, to electnorad.com and see a lot of the things that we're talking about here, electnorad.com. You go to Facebook and find me. at You know, it's Warren Norad for Senate. Uh, for Senate 10, it's just, I'm easy to find there too. Uh, a couple of things that we didn't hit on too much, but I think that's useful to set, talk about. Uh, one of the things is our invasion in the southern border. I'm a big fan of uh, immigration. When I was at UTA, I, I helped put together the largest um, naturalization ceremony the state's ever seen. Uh, my opponent likes to say, well, we're buying lots of helicopters and we're throwing lots of money at it. I think that we have to create physical barriers. We have to dredge the river where we can. We have to stop the border guard from actually helping people invade our country. I think that's a, those are major issues. Um, I think that we need to fix the right to try law that we do have that exists, but it's not functional. And because people in the Senate generally get what they want, they don't have to worry about these things or they're not connected to what's really going on in the house. And so that's a problem. Uh, we need to fix that as well. Um, the, what else can I tell you? Um, if you, if you want somebody who's going to, and, and my opponent and I are very much similar on the uh, social side, but I think that he didn't utterly fail in the Jeff Younger case. Uh, you've got a crazy mom that wants to turn one of her twin boys into a girl. Yeah. I don't know why the Texas uh, legislature couldn't fix that, but that's one place we need to fix. When it comes to economic issues, there's no doubt about it. I'm a conservative. I'm going to actually fight for smaller programs. I would never support a $10 million a year subsidy to the Texas Music Incubator. So there you go. All right. Well, listen, we're out of time. Hey, Warren, thank you for being a part of this today, uh, for answering the questions, honestly. And uh, we, we try to go in-depth as we can. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the conclusion here of the Information Edge podcast for this Friday. I'm your host, Darren Yancey. I'll be back next week. Whether it's with a guest or a monologue, uh, we always want to be informative. We want to be educational and hope that you got some entertainment value out of this. Uh, later this evening, this will be available for rebroadcast in syndication as well as for download. Again, I'm Darren Yancey. This has been the Information Edge Podcast. Thank you, folks, and have a great weekend. Thanks, Darren. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central, and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share then.